There's a tendency among many Christians to avoid the city, to bypass it or avoid it because it seems scary, because it seems unsafe, because it's challenging to dive in and wrestle with the realities of our city. But Jesus didn't call his disciples to hold their breath until they escaped this broken world. Rather, he called us to go into the world and bring his kingdom to bear here and now. That's what Jesus did. He entered culture, he entered the city, he rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty with the issues that surrounded him. Why? Because he cared, because he had compassion for those around him, because he wasn't content with the broken world. This means we will not retreat from our city. We won't avoid the hard issue, we won't bypass the mess. We'll roll up our sleeves and do our best to be the hands and feet of Jesus here and now and make an eternal impact in our city. This means we must do five things. We will be a church that reaches the next generation of college students God is bringing to our city. We will be a church that reflects the diverse ethnicities represented in our city. We will be a church that serves children suffering from broken situations. We will be a church that serves those impacted by poverty and addiction. We will be a church that sees the gospel multiply through planting new churches, not just locally and domestically, but internationally through all cities. Jesus is making all things new. He's inviting us into his plan. It's time for the church to rise up and make a difference. It's time to jump in and give it all we've got. It's time to be for the city. Man, it's, it's, good, um, it's good to see you here today. Uh, my name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new and you're wondering, is he always that red? Um, no, that is not a disease. That is a sunburn in the, in the sun way too long uh, yesterday. But um, I'm good, excited to be. I'm excited to be with you here today. Hey, if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to uh, the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament. So it's kind of uh, near the end of your Bible. Um, if you've got a hard copy, it's a little bit hard to find, but find the book of Ephesians, which is in near the end of the New Testament, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 3 on what I think is probably the preeminent text on what we are going to be talking about today, and so hopefully you can find yourself uh, there, you'll find your way there. If you don't have a Bible today, that's okay, I don't want you to feel alarmed. Um, we'll put the verses on the screens for you, um, and then we'll even give you a Bible for free. If you don't have a copy of your uh, of your own Bible, we'd love to be able to give you a copy of the Bible. You could grab one at the resource area um, right out there in the lobby on, on the way out, where we are continuing a series um, called For the City, where we're taking five weeks to really unpack what it means for our church to be for the city. Our mission is, everybody say it with me, for Christ, for community, for... Y'all are lame. I mean... I know it's nine o'clock in the morning, but you got to do a little better than that. Our mission as a church is for Christ, for community, for the city. And so we are walking through for the next few weeks what it means for our church to be for the city. And so as elders, we have, after we have prayed and spent months and months and months talking once another and really among city leaders and other people in our congregation, we feel like there are five main things that we have to be about as a church located in Wilmington, and we are not located in Wyoming. It would look very different if we were there. We are located in Wilmington, and we believe we have to be a church of five things, the next generation, multi-ethnic church, underprivileged youth, persons of need, and then church planting, seeing more churches replicated and multiplied in our city. And so we are doing that. Last week was a fantastic start to next generation, and so today we are jumping head into the topic of the multi-ethnic 
church. Who wants my job today, by the way? Anybody want to uh, take, a, take a stab at, at this one? Um, this is, I believe, of the five points that we are talking about as our vision, is indeed the most challenging and uncomfortable because it is the most foreign for each of us personally, but it's also foreign even in the church world. And so because of this, as I do uh, each week, I'm going to pray and before we dive in. So why don't you pray with me as we bow before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your grace. And Lord, I just, I just ask God that you would grant me the ability to have a heart that hears, uh, ears that hear from the Holy Spirit, and a heart that is open to how you lead in my life, even in these minutes that we have together, Lord. And I pray that you would help my tone to be uh, encouraging, to be the tone of Jesus Christ himself, to be the tone of the apostles, to be a to the tone of how your Holy Spirit would lead in our church, God, as we dive into what a, what a hard and challenging but unbelievably beautiful uh, topic today. I pray that you would open our hearts, God. Tap us on the shoulder where you need to and help us as we grow in this together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how about uh, help me with this phrase? We'll do a little bit of crowd participation at the beginning this morning. Help me with this phrase. Uh, finish it for me. Birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. See, there is a proclivity within each of us, every single one of us, out, because of our own humanity, we like to be with our kind. We like to be with our kind. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you, you can go back into the annals of history, and some of you that wasn't very long ago, and some of you it was very long ago, back to the days of high school, and you can remember those agonizing days when you had to figure out the clique that you belonged to. So here, here are a few. You remember these. Jocks, tomboys, cheerleaders, mean girls, gamers, Hipsters, hippies, troublemakers, peacemakers, class clowns, cool kids, rich kids, intellectuals, artists, gangsters, stoners, punks, preps, skaters, surfers, goths, emos, geeks, and drifters. Did I miss anybody in, in, in there? I remember for my I remember when I was I remember when I was in, in high school and I was I was a jock. I played sports the entire uh, time in high school. And um, I remember we would, uh, we, we would, in the student parking lot at our school, it was a gravel parking lot, okay? And the day where I finally got my first truck, I was so elated. I was so elated. I remember my first truck. It was a Ford Ranger. It was a 1993 short cab, uh, single, uh, short bed, single cab, manual, four-cylinder Ford Ranger that I thought was amazing, but it was the ugliest green that you've ever seen in your life. And it had a purple and a pink stripe down the side. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I remember having the, my Ford Ranger. My friends, uh, they, they like to call it the Danger Ranger. And there was nothing dangerous about this truck, I, I, I promise you. But I, I remember one day specifically hanging out with the jocks, and I wanted to demonstrate to all the kids in high school that my truck really was dangerous. And so I decided in the gravel parking lot that I would drop it down into second gear, turn it as hard as I could to the left, and do a few donuts in the parking lot. And it was amazing. They were tight. 
donuts. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I'm literally there spinning, throwing gravel rocks all over the parking lot. It was amazing. And about the third time around, I look up out of the passenger window, and there stands my principal at the end of the parking lot looking at me at what I am doing. Needless to say, I lost my driving privileges at school for a few weeks. Each of us can remember back to our high school days when we were a part of cliques or part of groups. See, all of us have a tendency to be what I would call is tribal. Every single one of us inside you is this desire to be tribal, which sometimes forms itself in us to be ethnocentric, which means to make sure that our ethnic identity is at the center of who we are. And then it not only spans ethnically wise, but it spans other places as well. And it's not just true of high school, but it's true of our entire lives. We, each of us, have a tendency to create tribes, and then we become very loyal to them, and we defend them against all adversaries. All adversaries. So, for instance, if you are a, uh, like to be a person that uh, goes up into the mountains and either skis or snowboards, and you have practiced, you are either one or the other. Skiers hate snowboarders. Skiers hate because snowboarders take all of the snow out of, they move all of the snow out. And snowboarders hate skiers because there's always in in the way and there's always so many of them. You just create an animosity towards one another. Why? You're on a mountain together for crying out. Of all the people in the world, you're together on a mountain skiing or snowboarding down the same hill. But we, we hate people that are different than us even when we are close to them because we are a part of a tribe and we have animosity towards people who aren't in our tribe. And the main problem with tribalism is that we have only ever known the tribe that we are a part of. We've never been a part of another tribe, which makes your ability to understand that other tribe very limited and restricted to perceive other parts of the world that don't have the same lens as your tribe. Now, here's what is unfortunate. Unfortunate, this same mentality creeps its head, creeps its ugly head into the church, into Christianity. Churches are very tribal and very ethnocentric. Sociologists tell us that in America, 87% of churches are comprised of a single ethnicity. Mark Demas, who is also a researcher and a pastor who's done a lot of work on this, he says this about churches in America. Churches are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods that they are in and 20 times more segregated than nearby schools. It's tragic. Dr. King, he was famously quoted. He he said this, at 11 a.m. on Sunday, when we stand and sing and Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation. Now, here, here is the ultimate tragedy when we begin to become tribal within our uh, churches. Michael Emerson, a sociologist, he, he says this. He literally researched thousands and thousands of people in America and interviewed them. And here's what he says. Uh, homogenous churches or those that are comprised of a singular ethnicity He found that these kinds of churches actually reproduce inequality. They actually encourage oppression, though not overtly. They actually strengthen racial division and heighten political 
separation. And what we are going to look at today is that the gospel is completely upside down, opposed against that. That the gospel has no room for that. That it was never in God's agenda for churches to become tribal and to even find animosity within each other. And by God's grace, even though we are a long, uh, it's been a long time coming, by God's grace, I think there is a movement, not just within our church, but I really believe that there is a movement across our country in which churches are becoming to wake up to the reality of the vision to be multi-ethnic churches. And it's happening. I got a message this week from uh, one of my good pastor friends who's in Charlotte, who's leading one of the preeminent multi-ethnic churches in the country, and he reached out to me this week and said, how's it going? Because it's challenging and because it is hard. And so here's what I want to do today. I'm going to walk through a text that I think is the preeminent text on the subject, Ephesians 2 and 3. And then after I do that briefly, anytime a pastor says briefly, don't, don't trust him. Um, after I do that briefly, I'm going to walk through what our specific vision is as a church and try to be as clear as possible. And then I'm going to give you four steps individually for how to seek reconciliation in your own life, okay? So here's, here, here, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, and this is where we uh, begin. In this setting, in this historical setting, in the city of Ephesus and the cities all throughout the Mediterranean world, there was extreme hostility between people. There were severe divisions within the culture in which Paul found himself in which these early Christians found themselves. It, it wasn't just ethnic uh, hostility. There was um, economic hostility. There was gender hostility. There was class hostility. There was all sorts of different kinds of hostility that existed in this uh, day and age in which Paul lived in. And then not only did they exist in culture, but the people, as they became Christians, brought those into the church as well. And so there was becoming a growing uh, hostility and divisiveness within the church, specifically between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. They weren't a part of God's original people. And they failed to recognize that God's plan was for all people. And they didn't like the way that the Gentiles sang their music. And they didn't like the way that the Gentiles did their stuff in church. And they would rather them have their own churches. But Paul addresses this division, this hostility in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. It says this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, meaning the separation, the distance between God and the Gentiles, the distance between God's people and all the other ethnicities of the world, uh, those of you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Everybody say one. One. And has broken down in his flesh, meaning on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one. Everybody say one. One new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one. Everybody say one. One body through the cross. Thereby, and I love this phrase, killing the hostility. Here's the first thing that, that I'll say. The gospel kills ethnic hostility and it creates one new family. 
See, this is the gospel. This is the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has went to the cross to primarily do two things. One, there is eternal separation between you and God. If you walk in the room today and you are a person that is maybe investigating Jesus or investigating God or trying to find out where along the spectrum you find yourself in relationship to God, every single one of us has an eternal separation between us and God. If that was not the case, Jesus Christ would have never had to come to the earth in the first place. And Jesus Christ came and he reconciled you to God, vertical reconciliation. The distance that separated you from God, Jesus went to the cross and he took away everything that was separating you from God. He took it on his flesh. He took your sin, your shame, your pain, your problems, everything that was ugly about you. He took it on himself so that you could know God and he gave you his, clean, his cleanliness, his righteousness, his perfection, his holiness. Isn't that a good word, church? Amen. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. The cross establishes for us vertical reconciliation with God. It's a beautiful gospel. It's what the entire Bible is about. It's a story about you finding God, about God pursuing you. So the gospel primarily accomplishes for us vertical reconciliation, but then Paul demonstrates here that it also establishes for us horizontal reconciliation. Which means when you enter into the body of Christ, when you become a Christian, it is, it is unacceptable for there to be any division between you and another brother and sister in Christ. Which is why the scriptures talk about forgiveness. Why the scriptures talk about apologizing. Why the Bible talks about reconciling relationships. I had to do this a couple of weeks ago and it was very painful. Specifically, I, there was a pastor in town, and I won't mention his name or any of that stuff, but there was a pastor in town that I had developed, and I know you won't believe this, but I had developed uh, some bitterness and hostility towards, because literally because of nothing that he had done, nothing that he had done to me, nothing that he had said, but because of my own wicked, sinful heart that had developed a bitterness because of their church and because of some things that they were doing, and I had begun over a period of a few months to develop um, some hostility and division and bitterness in my heart. And then I happened to be in close proximity to this pastor, brother in Christ, and God shoulder-tapped me. He shoulder-tapped me and said, Ethan, why don't you go ahead and confess and apologize to this pastor the bitterness and division that is in your heart. And I, got, I, I gave God a lot of excuses. You ever done that? Like, hey, God, you don't understand. You don't, I mean, God, you don't understand. Like, you, really, you realize, God... What the, in us, like, I'm on your team. I'm like, I'm like the good guy in this situation. And God said, no, 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 you, you have bitterness in your heart. You need to confess that. And, and so I did, and I had a lump in my throat, but I walked up to him face to face, and I said, I just need to tell you that I have had bitterness in my heart for a few months over nothing that you have done and nothing that you have said, but because of my own heart, I need to confess that to you. And it was amazing. It, it was beautiful. And when we hugged it out, it was good, and I, I, walked, I, walked, I walked away with, with an unbelievable burden that was, that was no longer on my shoulders. It was, it was amazing, and I, and I walked, and next time I see him, I'm going to give him a high five. Every time I see him for the rest of my life, I'm going to give him a high five. And see, the gospel, it eliminates any kind of horizontal division between brothers and sisters in Christ, whether that is a personal animosity, whether that's ethnic animosity, whether that's class animosity, a culture animosity, anything, it, it el eliminates it all. 
the gospel, it kills ethnic hostility and it creates one new family, which means the gospel and tribalism cannot coexist. They don't belong in the same space. Tribalism, you got to get out of here because this is where the gospel belongs. The gospel and racism cannot coexist. The gospel and prejudice cannot coexist. And we have to recognize as a church that this primarily is not Ethan's issue. This primarily is not a bridge church issue. This primarily is not a social issue. This is first and foremost a gospel issue. It is a gospel issue. The gospel commands us to live in this way. I love the way that Tim Keller says it. He says this, one of the main ways we are sure God's power is at large in the world is this. People outside the church who can never get along are now inside the church living together in peace. Isn't that true? It's, it's amazing. See, the gospel, it, it, it eliminates any kind of ethnic hostility, and then it creates in us one new family. It, get, it gives you a new family. You could say it, one of the things that I think Paul is trying to encourage us here is it gives you a new tribe, so to speak. It gives you a new race. He even says that, which means every single one of us have identities that we carry ourselves in. We have identities based on our finances, based on our backgrounds, based on our educational pedigree, uh, based on our, the color of our skin, based on our ethnic differences. We all walk into this room with identities that are primary identities in which we carry ourselves in. But once you become a Christian, you have a new identity, a gospel identity that overcomes, that is an umbrella over all those other identities. You, you, you become, as, as one writer says, you are now in a third race. I love this. Peter O'Brien, he says this. Jews spoke of humanity being divided into two races, Jews and Gentiles. But Paul now makes a threefold division, Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. Christians were to speak of themselves as a third race, neither Jewish nor Gentile. That doesn't mean, by the way, we do not promote being colorblind at, at the Bridge Church. It doesn't mean that you lose your distinctive uh, part of your humanity that God has made you, how he has wired you. You do not lose that, but you gain something that oversees all of that. It oversees all of that. It means you are now part of a new family. And then Paul says this, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, we'll jump down to chapter 3, verse 7. He says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given here to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, what is the plan? What is the mystery? The plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, everybody say church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two words I need to break down real quick for you. This word Gentiles, it's how we translate it into uh, English. The original Greek word is the word ethnos. Literally, if you had a Greek Bible and you opened it, it would be the word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicities from. So here is what Paul is saying. The division between the Jews and the Gentiles, you could say between the Jews and the ethnicities, every other ethnicity in, in the world. And now through the gospel, every ethnicity now comes alongside the Jews 
And we are one people, one family in because of the gospel in, in God's family. The Gentiles, they're, they're, the ethnic, the ethnos, they, there aren't any other like ethnos that are outside of God's kingdom. We, we are now in God's kingdom, the Gentiles. Here's the other word uh, that is really amazing. This word manifold, as it's translated in, in my Bible, the original uh, Greek word, the original Greek word, and it's kind of hard to say, I'm not even going to try to, it's polypoikolos, or I can't even, I, I took Greek and I can't even say the word because it's kind of a long one. Here, here's what manifold means. Literally, in the Greek uh, lexicon, it says this, many and diverse, manifold or many-sided. It can even be translated as multicolored. Here, here's what Paul is trying to say. In the very character of God, the manifold wisdom of God, the diverse wisdom of God, the multi-sided wisdom of God, the multicolored wisdom of God, he's trying to demonstrate that God is a very diverse God. And we as his people across the entire globe demonstrate part of his character in our very own uniqueness. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And through those differences across the globe, when we come together in one body, in one family, in one room, in one church, we are demonstrating to the world the beautiful diversity of the very nature of God. That's what he is trying to tell us. I'll say it this way. The church is God's demonstration of unity in the world. The church is God's demonstration of unity in the world, which means they're supposed to look at us. The watching world is supposed to look at us and get an idea of what it means to be unified. And we as a city are not unified. Wilmington has significant problems. It's a great city. We love the city. We think it's a, a wonderful city, but it is a city that is unfortunately scarred. And one of the ways that it is scarred, Wilmington has a race problem. It does. It has an ethnicity problem that goes all the way back to the riots of the race riots of 1898 and prior. And we are supposed to be to our city, to the mayor, to the county commissioners, to those on the city council are supposed to demonstrate. They're supposed to look at the bridge church. They're supposed to look at every church in the city and say, how in the world do they do it? How in the world do they look like that? Because they shouldn't. Galatians 3, 27 and 28 says this. I love it. It says this. For as many as you were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. It's a new identity. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. We are one. We are one in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So here, let me get specific for you. Our vision as a church is to, to be a multi-ethnic church that reflects and represents the city in which we live in. Here's, here's how I'll say it for you. We will be a multi, well, sorry, we will be a church that is multi-ethnic in congregation, culture, and leadership. It's important for me to explain these briefly for you. We'll be a church that's multi-ethnic in congregation, culture, and leadership. Here's the first one, congregation. This is pretty straightforward. We mean literally the congregants, literally the, literally the congregation, the people who are participating in our church. We want to be a church that is multi-ethnic. That is a church that reflects the city in which we are called. If we were in North Dakota, it would look a little differently. We're called to be the church where God has sent us to the context that we 
our scent. If we were in Manhattan, it would even look very different. God has called us to be the church here and now, and we're praying and asking that God would allow us to at least reflect the ethnicities that are represented in our city, that he would at least allow us to represent uh, the various kinds of people that are here in our city. So we're praying and asking God that he would allow us to at least meet the minimum threshold of what our city represents as congregation. And that may take years. We don't know, but we're gonna, that's what we're going for. Here's the second one, not only congregation, but in culture. Here's what this means. We want to be multi-ethnic in our culture, in the culture of our church, which is, means the goal is not cultural appropriation. Appropriation is where we continue to do things the way that we like them, the way that I like them, and everybody has to get on board with the way that I like to do it. That is appropriation. I'm, that would be saying, why don't you leave your culture at the door and why don't you enter into our culture? That's not what Paul was saying to these early Christians. He was saying everybody brings in their own cultural uniqueness and distinctiveness that is manifested and that demonstrates to God or demonstrates to the world the beauty of God's character. And so we come into church and you should be able to come with your own cultural representation, all right? Which, which, which means uh, we're praying that God would allow us to have a, a Sunday worship gatherings, community groups, the way that we do communication, the way that we do a website, the way that we do everything that we do that would demonstrate uh, cultural integration, not cultural appropriation. That, that we can't be all things to all people, but we want there to be freedom of expression, specifically in worship, specifically in community groups. We want this to be a place where you are encouraged to bring your own culture here. And I'll say this. Here's one of our, here's one of our, our values that makes this one kind of simple. Uh, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. How many of you, you woke up this morning, you're like, man, I cannot wait till I, I'm going to get my cup of coffee this morning and I'm going to put on my clothes and I'm going to get my family together and I cannot wait till I go to church because there I will be uncomfortable. None of you thought that. None of you prayed this morning, Lord, please, God, if you would help me to be uncomfortable today. No one does that. We, we, we don't do that. We are hardwired as Americans, to be comfortable. Everything in our life as Americans is designed for us to be comfortable, except for a few, and I'll point them out for you. All of us are, are willing to forego some immediate comforts to achieve long-term results. Can you think of what that might be? All of us are willing to forego some immediate comforts to achieve long-term results, so physical fitness. Uh, we have some friends that are that are here th this weekend, and she was telling us about how she has now gotten to a point where she absolutely loves to work out. And I'm like, can you ever get to a point where you actually like that? I like puking your brains out. I don't think that, that I would ever get to a point where I want to do that. But you will, those of you who have a gym membership and go, um, you will um, take on to yourself some immediate discomforts in order to have some long-term comforts. Are you with me? Here, here, here's another one, not only physical fitness. How many of you um, actually have a budget financially uh, that you try, at least try, to operate by? What is a budget? A budget is a demonstration of an immediate financial restraint and discomfort for a long-term comfort. You with me? It's doing what is immediately uncomfortable for something that is long-term that will be comfortable. How many of you have had a medical operation that was uncomfortable. 
But the pain of that surgery or the pain of that process, the immediate discomfort was worth it to you for a long-term comfort. You with me? As a church, we have to be a church where we walk into this room not primarily hoping to be comfortable, but primarily hoping to be the kingdom of God. Looking to be the kingdom of God, which means I will and I have foregone some immediate comforts that I don't like about our church because the long-term comfort is worth it. The long-term goal is, is, is worth it. And so I'll just, I'll just be really frank. To, to our minority brothers and sisters who are a part of the Bridge Church, thank you for your patience with us as we work this out. I know that sometimes we frustrate you, and I know that it is extremely, extremely uncomfortable for you to walk into a predominantly white church that doesn't necessarily represent all of your cultural distinctiveness and be a part of this for the sake of the vision. Thank you. You are pioneers. You are pioneers that, that God is using to do something amazing in our church. And to my majority brothers and sisters here at the bridge, thank you for your patience as we try to figure this out. Like these crazy pastors, what in the world are they doing now, what in the world has that guy been smoking? I know you've thought that. I know you have. You didn't tell me. You didn't say that, but I know that you have. But thank you for your patience as we try to figure this out because it isn't an easy process. And in many ways, you are pioneers as well. You are pioneer. We are all pioneers because we are going at this in, in a way that isn't common, that it does, isn't happening much in our culture. And so we want to be multi-ethnic in congregation, multi-ethnic in culture, and then multi-ethnic in leadership, which means we are praying that God would allow our church to have qualified leadership in our elder board, in our staff, community group leaders, worship gathering leaders, ministry leaders, volunteer leaders, and every part of our leadership, because we are not trying to do tokenism. We are trying to say that every level of leadership, we want to be multi-ethnic in this as well. And here's, here's, here's the tragedy. We have a church that only has one kind of person that is able to be in a leadership position in our church. We are unconsciously training our children that that is the only kind of person that's qualified to lead the church. So we're demonstrating, we want to demonstrate that we want to be a church that is, that is led by multi-ethnic leaders as well. And by God's grace, God is bringing those leaders to us uh, by his grace. And we're even praying one day that God would allow us to have a teaching pastor that is a minority as well. And that may take years, I don't know, when God's timing is right. But we're praying that even the authority of God's word that is taught on a weekly basis that God would provide us leadership even in that position that demonstrates a multi-ethnic church. Amen? So here, let me wrap it up with this. Four steps to reconciliation. Four steps to reconciliation. And I'll, I'll put this on a blog uh, this week um, to try to help you out. Here's, here's the four steps. So Ethan, what do I need to do? Ethan, tell me 
what to do. How in the world do we move forward from here? This is how. Number one. Number one is repentance. How many of you were hoping that I would say that? Number one is repentance. It, repentance is a, is a big Bible word. It means a turn. It means a change of mind. It means a, a change of heart, a change of direction. It means repenting of the, own, the, the places in your own heart that are contrary to what God has instructed us. And so the places, the crevices, the cracks in your heart that aren't in alignment with God's vision and God's instruction for us, we repent. We have repentance. We, we repent of our tribalism. We repent of our prejudice. We repent of our hearts that, that demonstrate this. We see this even among the apostles. The apostle Peter in Galatians 2, he publicly rebukes, Paul publicly rebukes Peter in front of the church because of his prejudice that he was demonstrating in the church. From my recollection, and I asked the elders this morning, but best I can tell, this is the only place in the entire Bible where an apostle rebukes another apostle, especially a public rebuke. And Paul, uh, sorry, Peter rather, has to repent of the prejudices that are in his own heart. Now, if I hear one more person say, well, Ethan, I'm not racist. Or Ethan, I don't struggle with prejudice. Are you Jesus? Like, I do. I, I do on a regular basis. I'm driving down the road and prejudiced thoughts come up in my mind. And I, and I, and, and I get mad. And then I'm like, where did that come from? The Holy Spirit has to tap me. We all struggle, struggle with, with, with prejudice. We all have, and it's not even ethnic prejudice. It's generational uh, prejudice. Class, there's all sorts of different kinds of prejudice that we, that we struggle with. So please, please never tell me again, Ethan, I'm a person that doesn't struggle with prejudice, you see. Yes, you do. Unless you are Jesus. So specifically, for my majority brothers and sisters in Christ, where is the prejudice within your own hearts? Where do you need to repent of certain prejudice that creeps itself in your own heart? Now, here's, here's what happens all the time whenever I have conversations like this or preach sermons like this. There are two extremes that those of us who are majority people that we feel. One is white supremacy, that we are somehow superior to all other ethnicities and for whatever reason we are God's gift to creation, which is completely false. It is a complete error, white supremacy. The other uh, complete error is white guilt. We're like, you, you feel bad for being a white person. You don't need to feel bad for being a white person. Like, God made you that way. Like, it is a beautiful thing. You reflect the very image of God in your own various cultural distinctiveness and your own ethnicities. So hear me, please. I'm not encouraging anyone to, be, to, to, to have white supremacy or white guilt. You don't, you don't need to do any of those. Just repentance. Just asking God, where is it in your heart that you need to repent of? Where are you complicit in prejudice? Where are you complicit in injustice? And then repent of that. And to my minority brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, you as well, where is there prejudice in your heart? You don't get a pass on prejudice or racism. You are just as much liable as anyone else. Perhaps where is there a lack of forgiveness in your heart? Where is there bitterness over history? Where is there bitterness over other brothers and sisters in Christ, over the church? Where does it seem to poke its head up in your heart because God isn't going to bless any bitterness in the church. 
He isn't going to bless it. So that's number one, repentance. Here's number two, respect. Respect. Every single one of us has to get to a point where we respect other brothers and sisters in Christ, where we respect cultural nuances, where we respect cultural differences, where you respect other radio stations. And rather than just write them off completely as some God-forsaken radio station, but recognize there are beautiful cultural differences. It means empathy. It means empathy. It means having a heart that breaks for your brother and sister in Christ, even though you don't have the ability to understand what their heart is breaking over. We respect. We respect one another. We respect the differences that we each exhibit because it reflects the character of God. Here's number three. Number three, relocation. This is probably the hardest. Relocation. Rather than staying in your own tribe, rather than finding yourself in your own tribe for the rest of your life, how can you get yourself, jolt yourself out of your own tribe? Here's something crazy. Maybe one day, and I don't know, you may not be able to handle this, okay? I know it's, I know it's extreme. Maybe someday you should try to turn on different news channel. Now, I know that is like, I know that is like, I'm asking for something crazy here. There are are other news channels. They are all flawed. None of them are a gift from God, I assure you. Perhaps for just one evening, you should listen to another news station, all right? Just relocate yourself. relocate your life. Maybe it means um, literally that some of you need to relocate where you live. For me and my family, we just felt called by God that if we were going to lead a kind of church that was going to be for the city and demonstrate many of those things, we had to be in the city. And it was uncomfortable. It wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy step to do. But we decided that we would relocate our lives. We wouldn't find a house that was in the most comfortable zip code the most comfortable school district, that they would re, we would relocate our lives into the city, into a place where there would be all sorts of different kinds of diversity. And now we love it. We love it. It's beautiful. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. The other day during the, the eclipse, um, we were standing out outside, and we had a couple pair of, of glasses. And as we're standing in the middle of our street, literally other neighbors start to come out into the front porch. And we're like, we're gathering everybody. And literally, we have about 20 or 25 people standing in the middle of the street looking up at the sun uh, through our glasses. And I, of all sorts of different generations, of all sorts of different ethnicities, backgrounds, economic status, it's a beautiful thing. Now, please don't feel, I'm, please don't feel relo- relocation guilt. Because 98% of you do not live in the context of where I am talking about. I am not saying that every single one of you has to relocate into my zip code and onto my streets. Please do not do that. I I don't want you to do that. But some of you, God, and I know he has, because some of you have been telling me God's going to shoulder tap you. He's going to tap you and say, maybe this is for you. Maybe you need to be the person. Maybe you need to be the family that's going to relocate. It doesn't mean all of us, but it means whatever God has for you. Maybe it means relocating where you work out in your gym membership. Maybe it means relocating where you shop for groceries. Like what are the ways in which your family, in which you as a person could relocate your life in order to have proximity with other people? Here's, we say this all the time. Proximity breeds empathy, but distance breeds suspicion. 
Proximity breeds empathy, but distance breeds suspicion. If I don't know you, if you're somewhere in a far off distant place, I don't like you because you're far away from me because I don't know you. But if I have proximity to you, if I actually have a conversation with you, if I rub shoulders with you, I still may not like you, but at least I have the opportunity to understand you for who you are. Proximity breeds empathy, but distance breeds suspicion. And here's the last one, number four, relationship. Relationship. What are the ways in which you can intentionally have relationships with people that are different than you, specifically ethnically different than you? Because at the end of the day, the goal is not multi-ethnic worship events. The goal is multi-ethnic lifestyles. It's where your dinner table starts to look a little different. It's where your birthday parties for your children start to look a little different. Relationship. Having relationships with people. And I want you to believe, church. I want you to believe that God is doing a work in our city. He's doing a work in our city. I can't tell you the number of times I interact with people in our city and they praise our church and they praise you because of the steps that we are taking as a church. It's amazing. In this last year, we have developed a pastor's group that I'm a part of that started with me and Clifford Barnett. You remember the pastor that I met at Snipes Academy almost about three or four years ago? We are now a part of six pastors that meet every month, three white pastors and three minority pastors that meet together every single month. Our church is also this fall participating in an integrated fall Bible study among those six churches, all six churches. We're even beginning plans for next year's Unity in the Community event through the Azalea Festival, which we're praying for a thousand people are going to be present at that event downtown in conjunction with the Azalea Festival. God's doing a work, church. He's doing a work, and he's doing it through you. He's doing it through you. He's doing it through the power of the gospel in us. And I'll close with this. Matt Chandler says this. Pastor of the Village Church in Texas. I love what he says about this, about being a multi-ethnic church. I am praying that you are a part of a new generation of courageous pioneers. This journey won't be an easy one. There is much hurt, skepticism, unresolved anger and pain that still affects how we view each other. You'll need to be fearless, rooted in the gospel, zealous for the fame of Jesus, and willing to lead us forth. Amen? Church, I'll ask you, are you willing to be fearless? Are you willing to be rooted in the gospel? Are you willing to be uncomfortable for the fame of Jesus, for the sake of this mission that he has called us to. Will you? Let's pray. God, thank you for what you are doing through our church. We praise you. We just ask for your favor and your blessing to continue on our church because it isn't easy and because it won't continue to be easy. So God, we ask. We ask for your help and your blessing. God, in the places in our hearts this morning where we got offended today, God, I pray that you would help us to repent. God, the places in our hearts today where we thought about some things that we should do differently with our lives, I pray that you would give us the discipline to see that through. So God, we ask this in Jesus' name.